Howdy, dream cowboys. Welcome to another episode of the Westworld Fan Podcast Western Movie Club. Today's movie, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, starring Clint Eastwood and directed by Sergio Leon. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast. So in case you're new to the Westworld Movie Club, Westworlds isn't coming back. It's uh, it's just begun this year. It's not coming back for another year. The long wait. Uh, we are within it at this very moment. It is far, far off into the distance. So to keep ourselves occupied, we are watching Western movies that have you know, sometimes very little to do with Westworld. But I would argue, in this instance... It probably has a lot to do, because The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is one of those movies up there with Unforgiven, up there with any other Western that Clint Eastwood was in, that, you know, it's kind of the beginning of the spaghetti Western. It's it's what got Yul Brenner into Westworld. It's uh, in the original movie. In fact, there is a line in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which it seems Michael Crichton just heard and was like, perfect, that's mine now. And put in everything he's ever written. So, this is a baseline movie that everybody watches when they talk about westerns. And there's a reason. But also, James, this movie is three hours long. Yeah, we usually do a point-by-point recap of everything that happens in the episodes of the movies that review. Can't do it. Uh- yeah, we as much as we'd love to record a three-hour podcast, uh, we both it. have lives. So okay, that's that's pushing it, lives. But uh, I do have to go places and see people, so we will be we will have to go through some parts quicker than we'd like. Although it stands to reason, because on the Wikipedia page, the first paragraph covers like the first hour and a half to two hours of this movie. They just gloss over most things that happen in the beginning. And there's something we can't describe over audio fully, which is the scenery in this movie, the shots, the backgrounds, the establishing shots. So much time is given to the beautiful Italian countryside where this was shot. And, you know, that doesn't translate well to uh, podcast format. No, the especially because so much actual time. And by actual time, I mean they stay on the shot for longer than you ever would these days. This is a movie made prior to the moment when everyone understood attention spans. So they would stay on a shot for so, so long. They had the climactic scene last almost a minute or two longer than I ever would have imagined it would be if it was Avengers Infinity War. You know what I mean? That would never happen. It would. Uh, the, our attention spans are... We are being almost condescended to on a constant basis by movies now because they just go, no, 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 they can't wait for that. They can't wait for that. We got to give it to them. Got to give it to them now. This movie doesn't deal with that at all. They linger. They stay. They make you ruminate. And I think the audience is better for it. And as Ryan said, heavily influential. And I got to think some of that bleeds over into the Westworld show itself. There's a lot of that in Westworld 2016. Absolutely. You know, you see uh, the caskets outside the saloon, and that gives you kind of an unforgiven vibe. You you think of Morgan Freeman in that casket and what drunk Clint Eastwood's about to do in the at the end of Unforgiven against all of those old men slash Gene Hackman. And then, basically the rest of Westworld, you could just be watching it. Almost every establishing shot, you can go, that is... The idea for that shot could have been taken from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I mean, it's a three-hour-long movie. It's a masterclass in how to make a spaghetti western by Sergio Leone, a guy who spoke mostly Italian, and most and a few of his stars spoke only English. I mean, him and Eli Wallach, the guy who plays Tuco in this movie, only spoke French to each other, because that's the only common language they had. This was a, a tough movie to make, a long movie, a movie with a star that wasn't happy the entire time he was there. And at the end of it, we still get one of the most iconic Western movies of all time. So as we said, bear with us. We're going to be doing the broad strokes. If you want a a finer tune 
into, you know, every last detail. You Go watch the movie yourself. What are you waiting for? You've, if you haven't seen this movie, you've got to. And if this podcast doesn't get you there, nothing will. Nothing will ever. Ever! Okay, uh, let's start it off right here, by the way. This movie is dubbed. And that might take someone out of it right away for me i i didn't i didn't know in the, going in that it was dubbed but as it started i was like oh ha- it has to be dubbed means that all of the voices in the movie are redone because a lot of the voices aren't uh italian or spanish and the only ones that are in english are clint eastwood and eli wallach and i don't know if angel face is in e- is in english too I, I i think maybe only clint eastwood and eli wallach playing tuco so that don't let that take you out of the movie a few times i i was like their their mouths are just not saying those words <laughs> but okay don't shake your head shake your head just get back into it it's a western everything's fine the opening credits some of the best opening credits i've ever seen amazing music this movie is the highest rated imdb flick with that never won an oscar including best musical score which is a travesty because it's the most iconic Western music of all time. Granted, I would argue, almost overdone in this movie. Although perhaps that's because it's three hours long. But the opening credits are amazing. The opening song is amazing. You know immediately that the, the music in this thing is going to be great. The director card for Sergio Leon is a cannon smacking into a, a red background with with his name coming up. That's some dream stuff right there for directors. And we obviously start in on a big landscape shot of the wild, wild west. And just one more sidebar. Do you know what movie beat The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly in 1966 for Best Picture? Are you about to tell me? The Sound of Music. Fine. Fine. Whatever. (laughs) Like, whatever, dude. You have to be The Sound of Music to beat it, I guess. (laughs) Our movie begins with one of the titular characters, The Ugly also known as Tuco, escaping from a deadly shootout on horseback and riding out into the wilderness. Yeah, he proves to everyone that he's pretty bad A. He kills all those guys who are coming after him. The first thing that happens in this movie is into screen comes a guy with a big scar. He's one of the bounty hunters looking for Tuco, who will not get away with it. But But as Tuco kills all the bounty hunters, he leaves one alive, the one with the scar. The next scene we've got, farm family, chilling at their house, doing their chores. Felt a little like the Skywalkers, didn't it? Yes, it so did. It looked just like that. But again, 10, 11 years prior to Star Wars, definitely an influence. Exactly. Like, the moment they showed their house, I was like, this looks exactly like the introduction of Luke Skywalker. It's so crazy. Without saying a word, mercenary and assassin Angel Eyes sits down at the breakfast table with another character and it's it's just that much like i'm not going to say anything i'm just going to sit down and start drinking your milk was fucking intimidating and it's not milk it's just his food but as i was about to say a little reminiscent of hans landa in Django, uh not Django and Tate, sorry uh in inglorious bastards coming in the first scene and drinking milk so many things in this like within the first 2 minutes of this i was like oh that's star wars Oh, that's Inglorious Bastards. You could just, t- like, you could tell how many filmmakers have watched this movie, looked at it, and gone, oh, yeah, that's how I'm going to do that. I was going to make that same connection, and it just goes to show, without this movie, none of our favorite movies get made. Seriously. And also, Angel Face is the bad guy because he has a mustache. It is known. <laughs> Angel Face. <laughs> Angel Face is... Oh, is it? What's his What's his actual name? Angel Eyes? Angel Angel Eyes. You know what? Screw it. Angel Face is funnier. I'm going to call him that. <laughs> I like it better. <laughs> so, Angel Eyes is introduced as the bad. Yeah, he and has a mustache. He's interrogating this, this farmer guy for information on a wanted fugitive named Bill Carson, who's made off with a buttload of gold from the Confederate Army. Yeah, no one has talked yet, by the way. The no one talks in this movie for the first ten and a half minutes. The first line that's said is the guy who's being interrogated is like, are you with Baker? And you're like, who, who, what kind of Baker is he talking about? He's actually talking about a man who was, has paid Angel Eyes slash Angel Face 
to to kill the 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 farmer sitting across from him with his family in the house. It's just brutal. Yeah, he he comes out and says like, "Hey, I need this information from you and also I've been paid 500 bucks to kill you." So, this this farmer thinking quickly, he's like, "Well, how about I pay you double to kill the guy who wants to kill me?" Yeah, and Angelface is psyched about that cuz that just means more money. And then but also he has this code, so uh he's just like, "Well, that's great and all, but I apologize." Because I follow through with all of my objectives. And the other guy's like, I just gave you $1,000. Can't you just, for this one time, maybe? And then he gets shot. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. He's like, yeah, I'll take your contract. I I still got to finish the one I'm on. But no, you got it. Yeah, it just just stands to reason that I kill everybody and take all the money. You see how that might be better for me? (laughs) Y'all are idiots. Yeah, he shoots him. He shoots his son. He leaves pretty casually. Yeah, uh, murders half of a family and then goes on his merry way. Angel Eyes goes back to the guy who originally contracted him, tells him that he's got information on Bill Carson's last whereabouts, and he's like, okay, so I did your job. I hope I did a good job. Uh, Now I've got this second one uh, to kill you. And then he puts a pillow over that guy's head and shoots him a bunch of times through it. It's pretty gnarly. And then over it goes, ah, damn, damn, the bad. I thought he was going to, like, suffocate him with the pillow, like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Me too. But instead he he shoots him through the pillow, but the sound doesn't get muffled at all, so I wondered why did he do it that way. Just for fun. And I love how he, why tell him anything? He gives him the information that he wants and then kills him. It's like he's, he's such a consummate worker. He always does his job. Yeah, and he, but although in that moment he is going against some, in, uh, he's going against some advice that Tuco gives later in this movie. He's talking. So meanwhile, Tuco is wandering through the wilderness. He gets stopped by three bounty hunters who recognize him as the super wanted criminal with a two thousand dollar bounty, and they're about to take him in when they all get blown away by Clint Eastwood. Yeah, they're like, we're going to bring you in, and then off screen you hear, yeah, but I don't think you're going to be the one to collect it. And I was like, oh man, here's Clint Eastwood, he's so badass, and that's the first time we hear it. Wah, wah, wah. And I was like, oh my god, that iconic sound that you hear, it's the obvious I'm a badass sound in a western. Ah, it's so great to hear it this one and only time in this movie. I assumed it only happened once. I was wrong. (laughs) I was so, so wrong. Clint Eastwood is Blondie, or The Good. He has a white hat. You could also call him The Handsome. You could. He's V Handsome. V V Handsome. So anyway, he takes Tuco in, collects his $2,000 bounty, and I really love this, because as he's being dragged to the sheriff, Tuco's just talking shit at everyone the whole time. Just doesn't stop. Yeah, and... At some point, Tuco says, I hope you end up in a graveyard. And I was like, okay, well, let's just slap on some foreshadowing. That's fun. So they're about to hang Tuco. They're reading out his rap sheet, which is basically every crime you could possibly commit. And as he's about to be hung, so there's an interesting way in which they're hanging people. And I wonder if they actually did this back then. So they've got him a noose around his neck and they have him sitting on a horse and eventually they're going to slap the horse and it's going to run out from under him and that's how he's going to hang. But before they can do that, Blondie shoots, with an amazing shot, shoots the rope, which breaks the noose, which sends the horse running and all the people scattering and he saves Tuco. Yeah, as they're reading out Tuco's long list, of, a laundry list of things he's done, and they say his name, <laughs> uh, Blondie goes, Tuco. Known as the rat. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's not a good line. First bad line alert in this lovely, awesome movie. And then he shoots him down, obviously, with a perfect shot because he's so badass. Daniel Craig could not be the badass that he was in Cowboys versus Aliens. Sorry, Cowboys. Yeah, Cowboys and Aliens. Sorry, <laughs> I said versus because it's a better name. Um, I, he could not be the badass that he was in that movie. Without Clint Eastwood saying the most B.A. stuff this time. You know what I mean? Also, by the way, after he shoots him down right away, you know what we get the? 
wah, wah, wah. And I'm like, oh, second time. Okay, two times is, two times is cool. <laughs> uh, just for the record, though, Blondie would beat the shit out of Jake Lonergan if there were a fight. Clint, East, uh, Clint Eastwood, at the age he is right now, would beat the up Daniel Craig. My dad would beat up your dad. The two of them escape, and they split the bounty in what is actually a pretty clever con. You know, they turn him in for the bounty, they get the money, they set him free, and they make a plan to do it again, because since he's escaped hanging, his bounty has gone from 2,000 to 3,000. Yeah, you can tell this is something that they have done a few times. As they are leaving that specific town, they we go over to Angel Eyes, who's just over in the corner, and then out of nowhere comes a dude with no legs... Remember that scene where the guy? Yeah, was no- and he's got the worst dubbing. <laughs> yeah, the worst dubbing, and his name is Shorty, which is just insult to injury. And then that half soldier is like, "Uh, I have information for you about a girl that you need to go interrogate to find this Carson fella." And then <laughs> Angel Face gives him two coins, and immediately Shorty goes into the saloons like whiskey. I need it. Yeah, apparently he has got dirt on Bill Carson's girlfriend, who's a prostitute, a couple towns over. Yeah, and I guess I'll cover this right now. There are two female characters in this movie, and I'll tell you, they are not treated very well, one. (laughs) Uh, And two, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that feminism was as strong as it was now back then i'll be honest Yeah, maybe maybe that wasn't a thing in 1966 you know no because i'll tell you this uh movie does not pass the bechdel test (laughs) no for sure so after they do their scam a second time blondie and tuco are in the desert and tuco's just running his mouth and so blondie gets pissed off and he's like hey you know what i'm gonna leave you tied up here in the desert and i'm just gonna take all the money and you can walk home which is like a 70 mile walk which i argue is too long to be in the desert and then as those tensions run high though you can tell blondie and tuco are bandits out for themselves he's just like okay i'm leaving you in the desert bye definitely a total dick move for your crime partner i thought you were the good blondie this isn't good no, exactly. That is something that I felt this entire movie. Every time Blondie did, like, half the things he did, I was like, you're the good one! If you're the good one doing this, what are the other ones gonna do? And then, you know, you assume that uh, Tuco is gonna be pretty mad about this. If he lives. <laughs> Next, we get a scene where Angel Eye catches up with that prostitute, Maria... And he uh, beats the shit out of her. Beats the pulp out of her face. Right when we enter the scene, uh, there's a fun game called uh, Throw the Girl Off the Wagon. She's on a wagon. A bunch of dudes are on it like, ha ha ha, throw her off of it. It's a fun game. Uh, Maria, when she hears the door open, is that you, Bill? Nope, it's not Bill. It's Angel Face coming to slap the shit out of you over and over again. She tells him finally that Bill is in the 3rd Cavalry, and he left for Santa Fe, which I was like, ah, that might be a lie. It's not. And then I wrote down, women don't get treated well in this movie. This one got the piss kicked out of her. (laughs) And then I was like, she's going to be back. No. So, defying all odds, Tuco totally survives being stranded in the desert with his hands bound. He, put, he, he gets into town, he puts some water on his face, and then he goes into a gun store, and this scene is all improv and it was really great. Really? Because this was one of like my favorite scenes, actually. It is absolutely one of my favorite scenes, too. Apparently, the guy, Eli Wallach, who plays Tuco, didn't know anything about guns, so they were just like, just walk around and take a bunch of them apart and just be like, ugh, this seems fine. <laughs> yeah, he, he tests some guns with the old proprietor in the back. Seems to find somebody he likes, steals them. He's like, hey, can I see your loaded gun? Oh, thanks. Give me all your money. Yeah, so quickly it goes from a transaction where he was buying a gun to a transaction where he was taking all of that man's money. Actually, And then he also proves himself a pretty good shot in that moment because he, he shoots a bunch of targets out back and hits them perfectly. And then a really good uh, funny scene occurs where... Uh, he asks how much the guns are, and, and the guy's like, 20 bucks. And then he points the gun at him, and then he starts going up in numbers. I was like, why Why is the gun more money? And then I realized, oh, he's not 
He's not saying the amount that the guns are anymore. He's saying the amount that he has. And he also steals a sweet sombrero in this scene. I really like Tuco's hat. Amazing sombrero. And uh, apparently Tuco uh, perhaps is supposed to be a Latin American. I don't believe Eli Wallach, the man playing him, was. Although, do you think Tuco from Breaking Bad was named after Tuco from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly? That'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. People have described Breaking Bad as like a modern day cowboy movie. Yeah, I, I would agree. If if seasons three through five are basically a spaghetti western, that's true. Tuco meets his buds because Tuco happens upon a camp. They do the third wah, wah, wah. And Tuco finds his buddies, Pedro, Chico, and Ramon. He says that, you know, if we go kill Blondie, we can get, you can each have $1,000 uh, each. And they're like, sure. So, with it, and then we fast forward to back to a town where a, a shop owner or like a hotel owner is looking out the window watching the south the southerners because this is all set during the american civil war and they're watching the confederates leave and being told that the northerners are coming south which the shop owner was pretty psyched about because they have gold and not just cash so He's excited because the Northerners are going to come down and use all their stuff and give him actual money. And then he turns around and Tuco's there with a gun. And he's like, hey, Blondie's staying here, right? Where is he? Yeah, there's some interesting historical references here. Towards the end of the Civil War, Confederate dollars were basically worthless because inflation was through the roof. And so that's why he's happy to see them go. Absolutely. And then we get a comparison shot of the three banditos walking slowly upstairs to kill Clint Eastwood's blondie. And then the horses slowly walking out of the town. And we go back and forth between those two shots. It was really cool. One of the first moments you could see a real actual decision made by Sergio Leone to just just go above and beyond with some shots and be like, I'm a director and this is what I do now. Um, And then, but blondie is so cool. He is very aware that these people are outside of his room when he's cleaning his gun. He puts his gun together very quickly. And then as they enter the room, he kills them just in time. And then as he kills the last one, he tells him why he knows they were there and goes, Your spurs. And then he kills them and then goes, Well, he doesn't do that. If he did it out loud with his mouth, it would have been the most iconic moment in movie history. But he didn't. It just happened again. For the fourth time. But lo and behold, behind him, waiting, is Tuco. And he starts... Tuco, this is where he says his uh, his kind of catchphrase for the first time. There are two kinds of people in this world. Ones who come through the door, and ones who come through the window. <laughs> yeah, there are two kinds of people in this world. People who do one thing, and people who do a different thing. That's my line that I'm going to say a few times. Let's get some of that wah-wah-wah back up here. Yeah, sad day for the goons. They were basically just a distraction so Tuco could get him from behind. And at gunpoint, he throws Blondie a noose and he's like, okay, let's let's do our scam, except this time you hang yourself. Everything's going to be fine. You get up there. And this is a good scene that they linger on a little while. You, 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 the stakes are pretty high, although Blondie does not look very concerned. And... As he's hanging himself, Blondie, at gunpoint, there are these large explosions outside, and uh, Tuco says, there was, a su- there was a thunderstorm after Judas died as well. And, uh, and Blondie was like, you know, that might be cannon fire. And Tuco's like, no, don't worry about that. Get up on the thing. And lo and behold, a cannon comes through the whole actual building, explodes it, and Tuco falls through the floor. When he looks up to see where Blondie was, ha, he's gone, dude. Wah, wah, wah. Fifth time, dude. <laughs> fifth time it happens. Now, on the fifth time, I was like, this is too many times. It can't happen 8,000 more times, can it? And Sergio Leone's like, just you wait and see. I'm going to every five minutes, idiot. Later on, Angel Eyes gets to the same town, and it's been totally wrecked. He meets up with a Confederate soldier, gives him a drink. He gets a little more info on Carson. He's like, well, if Carson is out there, he's probably been sent to a Union military prison with all the other soldiers who've probably been captured. And uh, this guy, Angel Eyes does not beat up or kill. He's like, hey, thanks for the info. Take it easy. 
Yeah, Angel Face is just, like, nice to him. There are stray dogs everywhere. In fact, it's one of my favorite part of this movie that the amount of stray dogs they used as extras, or at least I hope they were using as extras, and they were just not there in real life, and they were like, perfect, turn the camera on. I just, I hope they, I hope there was some regulation about these dogs. Like, there were, uh, although on the amount of regulation there was for the amount that women need to be used in movies, I would have maybe assumed that they treat uh, both women and dogs pretty poorly. Right, so Angel Eyes is like, well, you're not a woman, so I'm not going to attack you. Have a good day. (laughs) Goodbye, sir. In this scene is where they say the line that is in Westworld and is in Jurassic Park. Angel Eyes, after he gives this man the booze and the, the man he doesn't end up beating up, uh, and the guy just starts going off and talking about the war. He's talking about how he's they're all getting screwed by the South that they won't send any anything new and, and they're about to lose. And in jest, he says, our government spared no expense. And I was like, ooh. I think a little Michael Creighton was watching this movie. I was like, I'm going to write that down and then put that line into everything I ever write. So Tuco's on the hunt for Blondie. He's chasing him through the desert. He's following a breadcrumb trail of used cigar butts. They wah-wah-wah for a sixth time. He finds Blondie running the same, like, hangman bounty scam. This time with Shorty from before. Which is... Because Shorty's looking for anything. Some, he needs some money so he can get some whiskey. So he's willing to be on a horse without any legs, tied to a tree with a noose, and hope for the best. Tuco points a gun at his head, and Blondie's like, oh, what about Shorty? And Tuco's like, don't worry about him. <laughs> Sorry, Shorty. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Shorty. You know what happens to Shorty, James. <laughs> Tuco takes Blondie away while Shorty, Shorty, you know, starts to get hung thinking any any moment now (laughs) i'm gonna get saved he's gonna get me blondie so we get a really really long sequence of tuco forcing blondie to march through the desert without any water without any food presumably for days because that's what blondie did to him and he's being a huge dick the whole time. He's, like, drinking water in front of him. And he's, like, putting his feet into a perfectly good bucket of water right in front of Blondie. And then as Blondie reaches it, he just kicks it over. Blondie is burned to a crisp. His face is all messed up. All the music here sounds very John Williams-esque, Star Wars-esque music. Uh, Bl- uh, Tuco has a pink umbrella that he is he has over him just to be like whatever, dude. I have an umbrella, although I and it's one of my favorite set pieces in this movie. And then they finally reach a point where Blondie passes out from dehydration, and finally Tuco like throws some water at him, but he doesn't even get a chance to let watch him try to drink it because in front of him he sees a carriage coming with a bunch of. A horse is attached to it. Yeah, just as he's about to shoot him, uh, the deus got inside the machina. Yeah, for sure. He he stops the the bandwagon. He's you know, he stops the the horses, and he checks out the inside. It's a it's a Confederate Army officer's wagon, and inside of it is just a bunch of dead, shot up people. And one of them have an eye patch. So you're like, ooh, that guy is Bill Carson. Yeah, and he's the only survivor, and he's just like, water, water, I'll give you $200,000 for some water. Yeah, and Tuco's like, I don't care. $200,000, you say? So he's like, yeah, okay, okay, I'll get you some water, just just stay alive until you can tell me about the money, and then you can die. Right, then he runs back to where Blondie used to be to get the water, turns back around, sees that Blondie is talking to Bill Carson, and then Bill Carson dies, and then Tuco's like, jeez, fuck, no! What What did he say? What did he say? Because he only got to tell Tuco where the money was buried. He told them that it was buried at a cemetery called, what was it, Sun... Sad, Sad Hill. Sad Hill, yeah. It's buried at a cemetery called Sad Hill, but Bill Carson didn't get to tell Tuco what grave it's buried under. So as he gets back to Blondie... 
he's like, what grave is it in? What grave is it in? And Blondie was like, I'm not telling you. <laughs> right, so now Tuco knows where the graveyard is, but he doesn't know which grave. Blondie knows which grave, but he doesn't know which graveyard. The conundrum wah, begins. Wah, wah. Seriously. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. So now Tuco's like panicking because Blondie's on the brink of death and he's not going to get his money. And I love the guy who plays Tuco is such a great actor because like his personality shift in that moment is so hilarious. He's like, oh, no, Blondie. No, come on. Come on, buddy. You're OK. I'll, I'll save you. Yeah, he's a wonderful actor, Eli Wallach is. And I could see why Clint Eastwood thought when he got this script that Tuco was going to outshine him. He was I mean, Clint Eastwood was actually truly mad angry with Sergio Leon while he was shooting this movie because he knew that he was getting outshined by a guy who has way more screen time and is a way more fleshed out character than anyone else in the movie which is why in the middle of this movie Clint Eastwood was like I'm not coming back until you pay me $250,000 and buy me a Ferrari because you are screwing me I'm not the star of this movie so you're gonna get me those things or I'm not gonna keep going and Sergio Leon was like gosh dang it if you if you really wanted to stick it to Sergio Leone, he should have asked for a you know a German car instead of an Italian one. That's actually true. With the Ferrari, it's just almost a almost a layup. Either way, we find Tuco and Blondie having to now, or Tuco having to now save Blondie's life, which is a far cry from where they were recently. Tuco still with an eye patch on. He 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 takes Bill Carson's eye patch, puts it on himself because he now is just. I guess he's Bill Carson now. And they bring him to what looks like a monastery. Yeah, they first they stop at a Confederate camp and they're like, "Yeah, we don't have doctors here. We're all dying. Why don't you go try the uh, the monastery?" And as it turns out, at that monastery, Tuco's brother, I think it's older brother, is there as, like, the head priest. Yeah, this so, was a little random. So it, they, they get Blondie, to, you know, in the infirmary, and he's getting taken care of when Tuco runs into his long-lost brother so that they can discuss Tuco's backstory. Right, which is why that Tuco... It's one of these scenes where Tuco is the most fleshed-out character, because we do get a lot of background here. Um... When when Tuco is asking if Blondie is alright while and Blondie is laying down, Blondie tells him to come closer and then throws a bunch of coffee on Tuco. <laughs> Take that. And then he says, I'll sleep better knowing my good friend is by my side to protect me. Wah, wah, wah. Seventh time. Uh, by the way, do you like my Clint Eastwood voice? It's not good. No, I actually think you're doing a good job. I, gosh, I appreciate that. I... I, I I would do a Tuco voice if it weren't extremely racist. Racist, racist, very racist. And then they just fast forward to Blondie being fine. Wasn't that one weird? It was just like, oh, yeah. Blondie's fine. And then now Tuco is like... And all his, his terrible burns are no scars. He's cool. Everyone's calling Tuco Tuco, so they all know his name. He got water for Blondie. Tuco has to talk to his brother before they go. They t- and Tuco learns that his mother has been dead a long time and his father died a few days ago. And then Pablo, his uh, his brother, is like, Hey man, uh, what's up with that uniform you're wearing? And also, our parents are dead. And also, you have multiple wives, so what's that all about? And Tuco's like, where we came from, you can only become a bandit or a priest, and you did the easy one, and I did the hard one. So, suck it. And then I was like, "Yeah, we." I, I wrote down okay. Tuco is the main character of this movie. Right. We we get Tuco's basically like his brother went off to join the priesthood, and they took care of him. Tuco stayed behind in dire poverty with his family, and that's how he ended up a bandit. We know nothing of Blondie's backstory. He's just a cool guy. Nothing at all. Just cool guy. And then they leave. And then tu- actually Tuco has a wonderful acting moment where he's just like, oh yeah, my brother runs this place. He's basically the Pope. He loves me. It's great to know that I have a brother out there who will always give me some soup. And loves me to death. And it's odd. It's like I was like, why is Tuco lying in this situation? Why he's so delusional and needs to be liked? So they're riding off to the cemetery 
Blondie asks, like, where we're going, and Tuco's like, don't worry about it, we're just going to find money, leave this to me. Yeah, trying to get, he's trying to get Tuco to tell him where the cemetery is, and Tuco's like, I'm not that stupid. They see some soldiers riding to them, and they're disguised in Confederate uniforms, and so they're really happy to see that the soldiers are, you know, wearing completely gray clothes. Yeah, Tuco is like, who are, who are they, are they blue, or are they... Or are they gray? And they're they were like, oh, they're gray. Everything's fine. So Tuco yells out, screw General Grant. Uh, hurrah, General. And then he looks over to uh, Blondie. He's like, what's his name? And Clint is like, Lee. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah. Go, General Lee. Hurrah, General Lee. And then as they get closer, it turns out they're Union soldiers covered in dust. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. Seriously, <laughs> on their way to the prison camp. <laughs> yeah, they get sent to a Union prison camp with all the other soldiers. In the lineup, they say the name of the different prisoners, and when they call out Bill Carson's name, Tuco, fucking genius, is like, hey, that's me! And I'm Bill Carson! Angel Face is uh, apparently a sergeant in the Union Army now. How do, I don't yeah, know. this is he, he's running some kind of con. He was sent here by the other soldiers, so he's infiltrated, apparently. Yeah, and he's just looking for Bill Carson. So when Tuco says that, he looks at Tuco and Blondie, and Angel Face and Tuco and Blondie, you can tell in that moment, all look at each other like, we know who each other are. So there's some there's some brief scenes where the, the officer in charge of the camp is, like, reprimanding Angel Eyes. He's like, you need to stop beating up and torturing all the prisoners, and Angel's like, ha, you got it, boss. Yeah, <laughs> whatever, idiot. So... Angel Eyes gets the prisoner band going to start playing a lovely spiritual tune. It was weird. And then he brings Tuco in, gives him a nice meal, and then beats the shit out of him. As we go outside, Blondie is standing there watching the the house, and another prisoner says, the beatings don't stop until the songs stop. We, many of us have been in there for one of these. And they're like, Jesus, how long has Angel Old Face been there? I guess a long time. They were at, they were, they were with the, uh, the brothers in the, while Blondie got better with the sunburns and the no waters for quite a long time, too, I guess. And then, <laughs> this weird thing happened where they show, like, a close up of all the musicians and they're all crying. Like, they're all sad that they're playing, too. They know what's happening. Yeah, they're playing a really somber melody. This is a nice, uh, Probably the first in what will become a storied tradition of people playing unfitting music to torture, which, you know, followed up by Quentin Tarantino and then followed up again in American Psycho. Yeah, it's just the cool thing to do. Thanks, Sergio. So he gets the name of the graveyard out of Tuco, and now it's Blondie's turn. But he suddenly, when Blondie comes, Angel Eyes is like, oh, I'll do good cop now. Yeah, he asks Blondie, well... If I did torture you, would you talk? And Blondie's like, mm, nah, nah, not probably, no. Yeah, yeah, his words are probably not. And if yeah. I'm angelized, I'm like, oh, probably not, so there's a chance. Okay, so I'll torture you then just to see. Like, Yeah, I mean, we might as well see, you know. But he keeps him alive because he knows he's the only one who knows the grave name or whatever. So they're all on the same page now. They, now, they need Blondie. He knows a thing no one else knows. Yeah, he agrees. Angel Eyes is like, we'll find the grave and we'll totally split the money and it'll all go down exactly like that. I don't think that's how that's going to happen, James. He asks where Tuco is and he's like, well, he's not dead, but he's on his way. Tuco is with a very large Union soldier whose job it is to beat up Tuco. And he's put on a train with a bunch of other prisoners who are being sent for, to be executed for war crimes. This is one of those moments where I saw the dub again kind of pulled me out of the movie. The dub is really bad in this part. And then, while they're on the train, Tuco and Giant Man, who Tuco does not like because Giant Man has been beating the piss out of him, Tuco wakes up one and is like, hey, uh, I gotta go to the bathroom. So they both go over to the side of the train and... Uh, Tuco's like, I can't do it while you're watching. So the guy turns, and then Tuco swiftly turns around, pushes the guy out of the train, rides him to the ground, smashes his head into a rock, and now he's dead. And now Tuco's like, 
Oops. I am still attached to this man by handcuff. Dang it. Yeah, this is really cool. He So he puts the dead dude on the train tracks, and he puts his, like, the, the chain of the handcuffs on the rail, and when the train goes over it, it cuts the, the chain, and he's free. Wah, wah, wah. Eight times. So Blondie and Angel Eyes are, like, camping out in the wilderness, and it seems like it's just the two of them, but then out of nowhere, Blondie spots something, and bam, and he shoots, and this guy falls over dead, and he's like, hey, man, don't try to trick me. I know your gang members are here, so let them join us so I don't shoot them. Yeah, in this new town, we see how they treat thieves as well. The first thing we see is a thief carrying his own coffin, putting it down, standing, getting shot a bunch of times by a firing squad, and then being put in the coffin he carried there. That's a real bummer. So that raises the stakes. You know that thieves in this in this part of the in this part of the the, the prairie or whatever you want to call it are not are not treated very well. They're just murdered. And yeah, also, if I'm that guy, I'm like, I, I'm not going to carry the coffin. You can just shoot me here. Yeah, shoot me here. I'm, right. not, I'm not doing this stuff. And then I think the most important part of this is that throughout all of what's about to happen next, mortars are dropping all the time. So they, they're they in this, this like town that's under siege, and Tuco arrives too. And hey, just like you said last episode, they wash the star. They do watch the star. They have to because it doesn't make sense to keep him dirty the whole time. He goes up and he joins like a march and then he kind of breaks off and goes into another house where he st- he walks upstairs and he sees a bath and he goes, ooh, a bath. But right outside that house is in the beginning. Remember when I said there's that one guy who lived in that uh, in the bounty hunt for Tuco with the scar? Oh, it's coming back. It's coming back. And Scar Guy is there in the march too, sees Tuco go in, the, go in this house, and he follows Tuco in there. Tuco jumps in the bath. He puts a bunch of salts in there. He's playing with all the bubbles. And then, bam, kick down the door to the bathroom. And the guy with the scar is like, ha, I found you. I knew I'd find you. I told you. I told you. That if I ever saw you with a gun in my hand, that I would let you know. Pop! Tuco had a gun in the bathtub under the bubbles, shoots that guy in the chest, stands up, and says, I think one of the most iconic lines in the movie and in uh, Western movie history, when you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Nine times. There are two kinds of men. Men who don't take their gun into the bath, and men who do. By the way, that's that line, when you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Also improv by Eli Wallach. Hearing the gunshots, Blondie goes over to investigate, because he's the good. Yeah, he also says, he says every gun makes its own tune. As to say, that was Tuco's gun. I'd know that one anywhere. Yeah, that's that's a strange superpower to have. Also, that then after that, they wah-wah-wah again. They wah-wah-wah twice in a minute. So they meet up again. Blondie's like, hey, you know what? I thought you were a bad partner, but Angel Eyes is worse. I want you back, man. <laughs> and Tuco's like, okay, I get dressed, we go kill him, then we get the money. So the two of them, they take out Angel Eyes' gang, but Angel Eyes gets away. Yeah, there's another wah 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 in there. We're up to 11. So, together, Tuco and Blondie make their way to the cemetery, but as Ryan said earlier, there's a battle going on in this whole area, and so Confederate troops are garrisoned up at the cemetery. Yeah, as they're leaving the town, they have to have, like, a shootout with Angel Face's men, who he just left behind. Angel Face is like, I'm going on ahead, because I know where we gotta go. They have a weird shootout where they shoot a bunch of people perfectly on top of buildings and stuff. And then, eventually, they, they, they are trying to get to the cemetery. And now, this is the part where I was like, oh, they're just gonna get to the cemetery right after this it just makes sense for the pacing of this movie for them to enter the cemetery right now that's what would happen in every big action movie that is ever made these days and then i looked at how much time was left and there's a bunch of time left and i was like something else has to happen in the middle of this and 
this whole next part feels like it didn't have to be in there, but it is anyway. Yeah, so because there's this Confederate army at the cemetery, they have to think of some way to get rid of them. They make a plan to blow up a nearby bridge, which will hopefully catch the attention of both the armies. And before they do that, Tuco's like, hey, so this is kind of dangerous and one of us could die. How about, you know, just tell me uh, which grave it at. And then if you die, you know, I don't get, you know, screwed out of my money. Exactly. So Blondie is like, okay, fine. It's Arch Stanton. And Tuco's like, okay, it's Sad Hill. We both know now. Great. Good stuff. Uh, One of the Union captains who's in charge of this uh encampment looks exactly like john stamos i want to point that out like italian john stamos who is also very drunk this whole time goes into battle comes out of battle very wounded hated that bridge to begin with and as clint eastwood leaves to go blow up that bridge he's like stay alive keep your ears open so their plan goes off without a hitch they blow up the bridge the armies leave the captain smiles as he dies, knowing that that bridge is destroyed <laughs> because he was mad. Actually, I did like the captain's point of like, they left us all here to die, but they don't want us to, they need us to keep the bridge. We need to save the bridge and all have all of us die. I'm glad that the bridge is more important than, than our lives. So the bridge uh, blowing up was like the last good thing that could have happened to that guy before he's dead. But yeah, you're right. The plan goes off without a hitch. The bridge explodes. And we get to keep moving. Tuco gets to the grave first, and he starts digging it up without waiting. And Blondie arrives, points a gun at him, and he's like, Good job digging. Keep on digging. Whoa. You just skipped the whole canon scene. Sorry, I was glossing over. <laughs> no, dude, I, I, I appreciate that. And I think I, I, I want you to keep this part in because I think it's easy to skip this one. But it is actually one of the more iconic scenes in this movie. A part that also doesn't need to be there where they find a kid in a blown up house and the good guy, Blondie, tries to like put his uh, jacket over him as the kid's dying. And then Tuco takes... The cannon, oh, not the cannon, I'm sorry, gosh, the the horse. He takes the kid's horse and starts riding towards the cemetery. And then, you know, Blondie starts to chase him like, oh my god, he's taking the horse. And then Blondie sees the cannon, knows that he has a cigar in his mouth, and starts lighting the cannon and blowing up the field, smashing off the horse, Tuco to the ground, and now he's just shooting a cannon at a person and that's what's happening but as Tuco runs he realizes oh I'm on the side of the actual cemetery and as he gets there there's this jubilant moment or like two minutes of Tuco running around in circles looking for Arch Stanton's grave set to amazing music and as you said starts digging gets to Arch Stanton's grave gets in there and then Blondie's there with his gun like thanks you know, just as they're getting to the bottom of it, Angel Eyes gets the drop on them. And uh, together, the three of them, they open up the grave, but there's no gold, just a dirty corpse. Also, during this is a song that is in Django Unchained. I can't remember what the name of the song. I, I'm not a good podcast host because I don't know the name of the song or whatever, but I heard the song. I was like, oh, Quentin Tarantino used this in Django just straight up. Um, because it's one of the greatest Western songs of all time that you guys, it's one of those, the, wah, 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 wah. it's all wah, wahs. It's that I one. I believe it's called the trio. Ooh, nice. Yeah. The trio is the song playing during, uh, this next part, which I don't think is even an argument is probably the most iconic scene in all of Western's history. We get one more wah, wah, wah. We're up to like 12 or 13. Tuco has done all the work. Blondie is psyched. But Angel Face is there too, and uh We got we we got a we got we got three cowboys here. Yeah, Brad Pitt saying, We got ourselves an old fashioned Mexican standoff. We do. And I think this is perhaps one of the, the first famous Mexican standoffs seen in movie history. Because there will be multiple Mexican standoffs. And T- Tarantino obviously loves this movie because he loves all of these songs and Mexican standoffs. 
So Blondie says that, you know, he lied originally, but he does know where the uh, the money actually is. And, you know, they, they make like a, a prisoner's dilemma deal. He's like, I'm going to write where it actually is on this rock, turn it over, and whichever one of us lives gets all the money. As he puts the rock in the middle of the cemetery, which is a big circle of stone, the three men kind of get into a large triangle and are looking back and forth at each other while Trio, uh, the song plays, a song that should have won every award ever for being the most contextually wonderful piece of music in all of Western cinema. You get a big wide shot of the triangle. Cinema history is taking place, and they're all looking at each other, ready to shoot, but still completely solid. The music builds up. We go from huge wide shots to insane close-ups, cutting off their chins and their foreheads. We're just seeing eyes and mouths. This goes on for a very long time, way longer, again, than it would have ever done in movies these days. It went on for, I think, almost two minutes of actual suspense. Just them looking at each other. You can tell that Blondie and Angel Face are looking at each other way more than they're looking at Tuco. And also Tuco, Blondie and Angel Eyes, slash Angel Face, are both holstered guns. Angel Face has a cross holster like the Man in Black does from Westworld. Uh, and while Blondie has a regular holster. Cross holster, by the way, is that you need to reach across your body to get it. And... Eli Wallach's Tuco has his gun on a lanyard because he just couldn't get it out of a holster. The actual actor couldn't get it out of a holster. So that they just had to put his on a lanyard. <laughs> and in fact, so there's, a, as, there's a fun story good. from that, It's a, which I know this is a long movie. But there's a fun story that as he couldn't get it out of the holster, Sergio Leone was like, are you kidding me? Just show me how you get it out of the holster. Just show me. And he did it. And he, and he showed he was bad. And he was like, okay, fine. We'll put it on a lanyard. So Sergio Leon put it on a lanyard. And was like, okay, this is the way you're going to take it out. Sergio Leon took it out of his belt real fast. He let go of it by accident. It went up and it swung down. And it slammed Sergio Leon in the crotch. <laughs> and he was and he just handed the gun to uh, Eli Wallach. And he was like, fine, you do whatever you want. Okay. So as you said, the trio is playing. It's an amazing song. It did not win Best Original Music in 1966 Oscars. How? And then I have, for this scene... Wait, wait, wait. Do you know know who did win? Was it Sound of Music? The Sound of Music. (laughs) So, uh, you know, before I knew that The Sound of Music was the movie that took everything from it, I was like, how dare everything that this happened? And I'm still that way. I am. I think I like. I've seen both movies. I think I like the good, the bad, and the ugly better than the sound of music. But they're both actually iconic. So, in this scene here, I wrote down. By the way, my note is eyes, 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 guns, eyes, eyes, guns. <laughs> it's actually a pretty good account of what was happening. Yeah. And then James, the seminal moment occurs, and. Boom! They both they both try to shoot Angel Eyes. Yeah, and and Blondie hits him, and Tuco tries, but but nothing comes out. Hilarious. And it uh, Angel Eyes goes down dead. It turns out that Blondie had actually taken the bullets out of Tuco's gun the night before because he didn't trust him in case this situation happened. As Blondie is walking towards Tuco, he shoots Angel Face's hat that goes into the grave that Angel Face's that falls into. He shoots his gun that goes in there too. Uh, so if, if you didn't know, Blondie is a great shot and he's so badass. As he walks up to Tuco, Tuco's like, "It's not loaded," and then Blondie's like, "Yeah, I uh, I unloaded it." I don't trust you at all. Why should I? You left me in the desert. I left you in the desert. We're not on good terms. Blondie in that moment ends the scene turning Tuco's catchphrase around on him, saying that there are two kinds of people in this world. Those with loaded guns and those who dig. You dig. (laughs) And Tuco's like, oh, where? And it turns out 
It's not Arch Stanton's grave, but the unknown, unmarked grave adjacent to Arch Stanton's grave. Which became apparent to me when he when Tuca opened Arch Stanton's grave and there was nothing in there. Because I was like, how does Blondie know the name of someone else in this cemetery? It has to be something about the grave. And then, bam, we get there, and it's the unknown one. They uncover that grave, and then in there is eight giant bags of gold. And at first, Tuco's, like, really happy. He's like, all right, we did it. Now we get to share the money. And Blondie's like, why would you ever think that? Here's this noose. (laughs) Yeah, there's a, you know, this has been, like, the recurring theme throughout the movie. He sets him up again to hang. And he's riding away. And, you know, Tuco's, like, begging him. And, uh, Blondie rides out of sight, but then he comes back. He does his trick. And, you know, he's the good. He did the good thing at the end. Which is, which is good, because a bunch of times during this movie, you're like, this is the good guy? So, Tuco's alive. He gets his share of the gold. You know, he's, he's still screaming at Blondie. Because he's pissed about being tricked. 15 times. (laughs) And uh, because every Western has to end this way, Blondie rides off into the horizon. Obviously, while Tuco shouts obscenities at him, I thought he'd be happy, but he wasn't. We get one more wah-wah-wah with a huge wide shot as Blondie rides off into the plains, not being the star of this movie the entire time, but I guess this is what's happened. We get the big, the end, extended language version. And that's what it says. And then the movie's over. James, we recapped that movie in 59 minutes. This is, hear this, James? You know what that is? What's that? It's me patting myself on the back. <laughs> we spent so much time on Cowboys and Aliens. That's, that's because it's a very deep movie, James. You know, this movie is twice as long as Cowboys and Aliens, but it didn't feel that way. No. I was having such a good time watching it. It flew by as compared to Cowboys and Aliens, which felt like an eternity. And th- and that's with a movie that has pacing problems. Because if there is one criticism of the good, the bad, and the ugly, it is the pacing problem. It's that you don't really need that Civil War scene at the end with the bridge. It feels like they did that because, one, they had enough money to blow up a bridge. And, two, they wanted that scene where Blondie is shooting that cannon at Tuco riding off on a horse, which is... Of course, there are like eight iconic scenes in this movie, and that's one of them. But the one with the bridge, it probably wasn't needed. There was 40 minutes at the end. This movie could have easily been two hours and 20 minutes. And even so, with a three-hour movie, it does feel like it goes and it rides along pretty quickly. And that's just based off of everyone in this movie who's acting is great. And that's even with all of the dubbing. And every word of this movie that comes out of all of these people's mouths, most of them are dubbed. Because audio back then was awful. Yeah, that would be the one thing I didn't, you know, I loved this movie. The the dubbing was a little weird. At first I was like, am I crazy? Or is this not matching up? But once Shorty had his lines, it was like so apparent. Shorty's dubbing was terrible. Yeah. And... Uh, it, it should be known that right when this movie came out, Clint Eastwood wasn't happy with it. In fact, he wasn't just happy to begin with. He he said that the movie was bloated rather than expansive, and that the only fleshed-out character was Tuco, which he makes a solid point, and would become a director later in his life, and I'm sure took that with him. Sergio Leone and him had a falling out after this movie, but did get back together as friends prior to Sergio Leone's death. And when Clint Eastwood won an Oscar, he... He dedicated it to two directors, one of them being Sergio. And then another fun fact is that Stephen King said that his book uh, series, The Dark Tower, was based on two things. One, the Lord of the Rings book series by J.R.R. Tolkien, and this movie, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. So we've got another movie coming out next week. So we did a bad movie first. Wait, we have to give. We, yeah, we got to give a grade, man. We you, you, we, we, we got to grade the good, the bad, and the ugly. We have to because we graded Cowboys and Aliens, and all movies are on the same plane. Granted, some of them are higher and some of them are lower. 
And as we can recall, I believe you gave Cowboys and Aliens a C, a C plus, and I, uh, I actually didn't. G- I guess I gave it an F because I said that if it was a student, it would stay back. Hold the. F- I gave it a C. There was no mention of a plus. Okay, okay. You were a f- you're so offended by the the mention <laughs> of a plus. How dare you slander my Obvious- good name? Obviously, I, I I'd give this movie an A. Yeah, me too. I mean. It is truly one of the best westerns ever made. And even with the things that Clint Eastwood says where he's not the main character, um, I love Tuco as a character. He's a brilliantly acted character who deserved to be the lead of this movie and honestly made it much better. They, As you said earlier, James, the synopses really leave Angel Face out. They don't talk about Angel Eyes like most of the time including all the stuff he does at the beginning with the family the sky at the Skywalker ranch or that guy when he shoots him through the the pillow it's all that stuff they kind of and oh, also that time where he beats the crap out of that lady which by the way the actor when he came to the set that day was like I do not slap the crap out of women because Sergio Leone actually wanted him to hit her to make it look realistic and she was like yeah man just hit me dude I'm an actress come on just hit me and he's like I don't hit women and Sergio Leone's just like, hit her! <laughs> uh, I don't know if he eventually did, but... That was Lee Von Cleef. I think it was his name, Van Cleef? Lee Van Cleef? I don't know. There were a lot of actors in this movie who I did not know, including Eli Wallach, who I do now because he was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Angel Eyes and Clint Eastwood were both really great, but, I mean, Tuco stole every scene he was in. Very literally stole. He stole all the money. All the gold, baby. And yet, Clint Eastwood is the one everyone remembers. Yeah. Where's justice? There, It doesn't exist. Let a long silence come after that. <laughs> uh, I, I, You can't anymore, because I broke it. Whatever, dude. What's our next movie? Actually, you told me already, and I'm pretty excited. So, we've, we've got a thing going here. We do a, 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 a bad movie, and then a great movie. And so, we've done our bad movie first, Cowboys and Aliens. Uh, we've done our great movie today, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And so for our next movie, I have chosen 2013's The Lone Ranger, starring Johnny Depp and Army Hammer, which is a funny name. Amazing name. I'm so excited to see The Lone Ranger. I've never actually seen it. It's another one of those movies where there was an immense amount of marketing done for it, and then they lost so much money. They assumed they were going to get Pirates of the Caribbean money, but apparently when you take Captain Jack and put him in a uh, Indian costume, and then the opening of that movie is marred by the fact that everyone's like, you didn't even cast an Indian as an Indian. You just did it as Johnny Depp. This is all whitewashing is. And then uh, that happened. And then plus, I, f- I guess, the music or the movie just isn't good. Like, that's been the overall thing I know about it. But I actually haven't ever watched it. So I'm excited to actually see it with my own eyes and create my real opinions. I know my dad was a fan of the 1950s TV show, The Lone Ranger. I don't know anything about this 2013 version except what you said, that it was a total failure. And also, it's a Western movie with Johnny Depp, and it's rated G. It's G? That, that, that doesn't that doesn't bode well. No, it right really away. doesn't. That's what I... I didn't know that it was rated G. That's... That, that sounds like it killed what it killed the movie, like, immediately, right? It sounds like it should have been a PG-13 flick, and then Disney was like, no, we're going to make it for kids. Everything's fine. <sighs> yeah. Kids love that Indian face racism. That's yeah. what they want to see. <laughs> I was talking to my girlfriend last night about what movie we should watch next, and she sent me the, uh, the poster of the Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen vehicle, When the West Was Fun. And I was like, oh, God, that's so funny. We have to actually do that. And then he and then James was like, we have to watch The Lone Ranger. And I was like, I mean, I think they're both of equal quality. There's no way we're not going to watch When the West Was Fun. We're going to get there. I can't find it anywhere. The only way you can buy it on Amazon is buying like a $70 used DVD. Anybody, if you've got a DVD or a VHS of When the West Was Fun, we really need it. We will give it back to you. I swear I will. 
also, <laughs> if you have a DVD of that one movie where Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen are the young detectives who are looking at that house they think is haunted, but it turns out a beekeeper just lives in there and has bees inside, uh, I will also take that one as well. Uh, that I don't. Thank you very much. <laughs> that that one's just for for our personal enjoyment. We're I want to see. Gonna... I just I just want to see that one. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. You know, if you just listen to the show, we really appreciate that. If you want to go the extra mile, you could follow us on Twitter at WestworldRyan. You could follow us on SoundCloud, or you could write us a nice review on iTunes, which helps other people find us, or you could just pass it around, word of mouth. If you know people who like recaps or you know people who like westerns, let them know. It's the case of Thorn Mansion. That's the beekeeper one. Sorry. Yeah, if you if you know people who are fans of of uh, Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen, that'll be our next podcast, the <laughs> Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen fan cast. Yeah, we're gonna cover their lives in grave detail. Uh, but it's fine. All of their movies, they have a very trusty uh, dog sidekick. I think it's all gonna go very well. And then join us here next week for our review of the 2013 smash hit, The Lone Ranger. Starring Army Hammer, the guy with a name who every time you hear it, you're like, that's someone's name. I'm James. (laughs) And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast.